and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the pack heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 35, where today I'm joined by Natalie Ferrari-Morton, founder and owner of East Van Jam. Before we do get started, though, I did want to briefly touch on Foodpack, which is the company that I proudly work for here in Vancouver, BC. Now at Foodpack, there are some things that we do really well, one of which is flexible packaging and the other is packaging equipment. So if you wanted to uh, get in touch and uh, discuss either the flexible packaging piece for your business or the equipment that coincides with it, please give me a call on 604-360-6790. You could also shoot me an email at Hayden at the Pack Heavy Podcast, or you can reach out on LinkedIn. Now, East Van Jam was founded in 2013 by Natalie, who lives in East Vancouver with her husband and two boys. Having spent three years teaching community canning classes and proudly feeding her family with her own unique and delicious jam, Natalie saw an opportunity to start something of her own, sourcing local BC fruit to produce her highly acclaimed jam. East Van Jam's brand is extremely recognisable and iconic over here on the West Coast, largely due to the talented Scott Bilstead, who created original artwork for each of Natalie's individual skews. With gourmet flavour pairings and a mere fraction of sugar, East Van Jam produces fun and guilt-free spreads inspired by the eclectic variety of characters that make East Vancouver so unique. I really enjoyed the conversation that I had with Natalie. Uh, We covered a lot of ground, ranging from motherhood and entrepreneurship all the way through to getting out of your own way in life and in business. Uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Natalie, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Cool. How are things on your end? How are things in East Van? Oh, it's a beautiful day. Thank goodness. Is it? <laughs> yeah, things are things are pretty good. Good. Yeah, I spent the vast majority of my morning out on the road visiting my clients. So it's nice being out on the road when it's a nice sunny day, but it's also a nice um, break from the hot weather that we've had too lately. It's, it's been good. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was driving to Abbotsford and back this morning. So it was, uh, it was nice to not be driving in torrential downpour, which I often am in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Were you meeting with uh, fruit pickers out there? Or I guess there's so much farmland out there. Yeah, um, I do. Uh, I drive out for my supply mm. as I need it. So I work with a wonderful family run farm who has a, a froze, frozen packing house. Mm. And um, so I, I select as I need it which is That's great. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. I was, um, when I was doing my research on you, I did read that you're using a lot of um, local BC produce. So we'll definitely touch on that during the episode. Um, mm-hmm. Before we kick off though, you and I were introduced to each other by Jordan Hocking of Sriracha Revolver, who I actually yeah. had on episode 22. And, um, you know, that was such a great episode and Sriracha Revolver, like what Jordan's doing with that business and the way that it's interacting with, you know, the community and all of the great things that she's doing. So a huge inspiration to all of us over here. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, she spoke so highly of you. So thanks for taking the time to, um, to come on to the episode and speak to yeah, us, sure. and, you know, specifically around the, the business that you've started and, you know, the inner workings of it all. And, you know, some things that I would love to learn from you, um, in particular revolve around, you know, the community aspect that you've built into the side of your business mm-hmm. and, um, and also how you have sort of managed to scale it as well. Um, 
So that's something that I'd like to touch on. And I guess the other connection that you and I briefly touched on before we um, clicked on record as well is that um, you were actually on the Half a Dozen Hospitality podcast with Brad Botnichuk back in 2018. Yeah, yeah, that was my intro to a podcast. It was very fun. Have you done any since? Uh, just one, but there was some video involved. Okay. Uh, so that made me a little more nervous. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the fellows who run the Lemon Square, they okay. um, are running a craft show show is what they're calling it. And so they they interviewed me on that one. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Yeah, he's an Aussie guy as well, isn't he? Yeah, Dan is. Yeah. Dan, yeah. Mm-hmm. I met him yeah. at the Steveston Cannery Market and, uh, oh, nice. and had a good chat because, yeah, Lemon Square is a huge back in Australia and it's not something that you find very frequently here. So it's pretty cool that he's um, that he's launched his business. And for what I understand, he's, um, you know, it's been a real success. Yeah, they're doing a fantastic job. And if you want to talk about community, those dudes are all about community. They're so fantastic. And they are like a cornerstone mm. of the market scene, I, in my opinion and my experience. They're just so positive and always you know pre-covid always ready for a big hug when you need one and just really great at at developing relationships in the in the maker community that's cool you'll have to introduce me yeah i should (laughs) thank you for sure (laughs) now while i was doing my research on you um over the last couple of days in preparation for the podcast i was reading through a few articles that you had featured in and there was one line in particular that i pulled out and i wanted to sort of lead with this and just sort of go from there so i said east van jam started because i needed more than motherhood to keep me going i love my kids and i wouldn't trade in having any of them but after deciding to quit my corporate job and be a stay-at-home mum for the period while they were quite young it quickly wore on my nerves and I needed an, another outlet. Mm-hmm. Talk to us yep. about that. <laughs> um, you've probably heard it before, but I mean, I'm, I'm a modern, modern woman in a lot of ways in yeah. that I, um, while I am very rewarded by uh, motherhood and, and the experience of raising two amazing, compassionate, considerate humans, mm-hmm. I still, um, really craved, uh, an outlet that both allowed for just adult connection and adult conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, but also an opportunity to kind of play out some fantasies in a way that I, that I had and that were really just up in my head and never really fully realized in, in other times of my life where I was working, um, full-time elsewhere. So, Mm um, becoming a mother, both, you know, it really changed my perspective mm. on life and changed my perce- perspective of, um, you know, what's meaningful to me. And ca- having come from a corporate background, I felt like it was such a huge departure and an opportunity to think about what it was that I wanted and how mm. I wanted to, you know, move about in the world and on my more on my terms. So. Yeah, I hear uh, like Jackie Thomas from Leaders Mexican, um, mm-hmm. the the flatbreads and um, sorry the why I didn't call it a flatbread did I? It's, it's tortilla. Uh, tortillas. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry, Jackie, if you're listening. <laughs> um, yeah, She'll she yeah she had a very similar story, and and my wife and my sister and my mom, all of them throughout the early days of motherhood. Um, have got such a similar story in that they couldn't be more proud of being a mother and all of the things that you know have got they've got going on in their lives. But there was a sense of loss in terms of their own individuality and really trying and a real sort of desire to to grip onto something new and you know to not only 
have a bit of a mental break, but also, um, you know, evolve as a person as well. So it was mm-hmm. really cool when I read that, um, that paragraph in the article, because I'm like, yeah, that's a great place to start because it's such a common theme out there. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, in some, in some ways it's a bit unfortunate even too, in when you look at it from the angle of, um, as I opened my, my response, I'm a modern woman in the Mm. sense that I am faced with so much of the pressure that's out there in society to be everything, to be good at everything, um, to be a good mom, but also have a career and to also, you know, uh, succeed in that career. Um, there's, there's a lot of pressure there and it's definitely not, it's so funny because I started things out as a, an instructor in, in trying to revive the art of canning, which is a very like kind of old school 1950s housewife sort of mm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, try and bring it back to the community in, in, in an empowering sort of way. Um, I mean, all that to say uh, what, I, you know, all that to say that basically I felt like, although I loved being a mom, it was, it didn't feel like enough. Mm. And, and also saying that is a bit contradictory in the sense that it is the hardest job I'll ever have had. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and most rewarding too. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you, I felt very like, you know, I was working so hard at being a good mom, but also um, felt like there was a gap um, that I needed to fill. Yeah, for sure. Like life's a balance. And if it's skewed in one direction, you know, too far, there is a misalignment in life and it's just a matter Mm -hmm. of bringing it back. Like there's a dichotomy in everything in life and something, some Mm -hmm. things can be pushed too far in one direction. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you would just mention like canning is such a 1950s kind of like process, but it's also a process of preserving, you know, food because there was a necessity to preserve mm-hmm. food at the time. And mm-hmm. was that something that was passed on to you by your mom or your grandmother? Or, and is that something that you do with your kids today? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, ironically enough, though, the most canning I ever did before starting a business was with my husband. He really mm-hmm. like fully, in, you know, engaged in it with me uh, in the early parts of our marriage. Um, yep. But it was definitely all around me when I was growing up. It's a thing. All of my sisters do it. My mom still does it. Um, it's never been like not part of our family. So yeah, yeah all you know, grandma and all that and going forward. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a major uh, feature of the food that we ate growing up. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Speaking of family, mm-hmm. there is one more paragraph that I pulled out of an article and I wanted to touch on that. Now would be a good time to do it as well. Sure. And there was a question that said, you know, there was one article that said there, what are, who are the three living personalities that you'd love to create jam for? And one of them, you said, I'd love to memorialize my dad because he's done a lot for the city. So who is your dad and what did he do? Uh, <laughs> uh, he, um, he's, he's, a he's a modest guy, but he, you know, he's, he, he didn't grow up here, but right. he, um, spent his, you know, a good hunk of his adult life here. Um, and he's the reason I moved here. He'd already started living here. And I, I um, moved here when I was 16 right. and um, lived with him. But he is, he's just a, he's a very generous and very genuine person. And he's very committed to the arts community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's philanthropic in those areas. And he is um, 
dedicated. He's been on the board of um, the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society for I don't even know how long. So he is very instrumental in maintaining that organization and, and what it brings to the city um, for arts and culture and jazz music specifically. So um, I don't know. He's just, but he's not like, he's not a flashy guy and he yeah. doesn't look for tons of, you know, accolades or anything. He's just recognition. Yeah. He just does what he does because he loves it. And, yeah. um, you know, in small circles, he's recognized for being great in those, in doing those things, but mm-hmm. he's not like the dude who needs all of the recognition on, you know, yeah, he doesn't really need his ego ways. boosted. Yeah. Got, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. It's a beautiful story. So you said that you, you moved in with your dad when you were a teenager, where did you move from? Like, where did you grow up? Um, in Toronto actually, and ah. rural Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Came here, to, uh, you know, long story short, I just needed another parent to live with. And yeah. um, so moved out here and tried out Vancouver and I never looked back. I mean, yeah. I missed a lot of people and 16 is a tough time in life to, to move to somewhere completely different. Yeah. But um, I've always been a bit of an outgoing personality and I had moved quite a lot when as a kid. So I did have a fair number of opportunities to you know, for, be forced to learn how to make friends. And mm. so it, it wasn't super... A, you know, it wasn't a really difficult stretch, but just at 16, it was pretty tricky to leave your, your closest friends and all, yeah. all of the rest of my family. Yeah. And but, then not um, only that, like insert yourself in a new community, find your tribe again. And, you know, the people that you want to surround yourself in yeah. and then, you know, really discover who you are because 16 and, you know, those sort of mid teenage years are such formative years in, you know, yes. sort of learning who you are as a person. And yes. they kind of really sort of start to, it starts to move you in the direction that you're actually going to take with your personality and you know the kind of life that you're looking to you know build upon yeah um i I can't necessarily draw very specific lines Mm. uh, or very straight lines from then to now but Mm. um uh i think having a stable place to be Mm -hmm. uh, to to create a community in and 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 like you said find my tribe was really integral to feeling like i have um integral to being able to start growing roots here mm-hmm. um i've played i've toyed with the idea over the years of of leaving vancouver but um it's been so good to me it's actually a really hard hard idea to swallow yeah. um so so yeah i've really i've really felt embraced by vancouver yeah, especially that East Vancouver community and that pocket. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I love dipping in and dipping out. Like we live in Richmond, but mm-hmm. I'm traveling through East Van all the time for work. And I got a couple of mates that live there as well. And there's mm-hmm. so much of a, well, it, it doesn't feel like anywhere else in Vancouver. It's got its own vibe. It's got its own feel. And I can imagine if you lived there, it would be really hard to move out of there because it would become a, a way of life, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And there's a pride connected to it too. Yep. That is, that's, you know, like. I mean, it's, it's less about keeping it real now because it's so gentrified, mm. but for a long time it wasn't, and it wasn't the, it wasn't the cool place to live, yeah. but being here for as many years as I have been, it's like, I've, I've watched it go through, um, a few phases and, mm. um, you know, it, it does, it shoves people out to the whole gentrification process. Like mm-hmm. a ton of our old friends don't live here anymore because it became very unaffordable and it's been a hard scrabble just to be able to stay and like commit to staying. So Mm. now that we have, we're like, okay, we made it. (laughs) We're not going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For sure. What was your first job that you had? 
I actually started working at Mountain Equipment Co-op when I was 17. At Mac. Okay. Which location? The Broadway store. Still the one. Yeah. Okay, cool. That would have been a great job to have, you know, what a great, you know, opportunity to get kitted out for the, for the BC outdoors. Yeah, it was, I I mean that, but also an amazing place to find your people. It was so, so instrumental. I'm friends with so many people who I worked with there and that's like 20 years ago. (laughs) So it's uh, it's amazing. Excuse me. It's an amazing congregation of really like-minded people. So that was, that yeah. was instrumental in helping me feel welcomed here in Vancouver for That's sure. Cool. And at mm-hmm. what point did you sort of um, get stuck into your career and what was the corporate career that you um, sunk your teeth into? Um, I was working in the signage industry. So working with kind of big box store brand name mm-hmm. um, companies who I was in charge of their um I was project managing for right. their like new store opens and yep. getting all their signage permitted and all that stuff. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a good opportunity and a huge learning opportunity. I yeah. was able to work with a lot of different professionals from various different um, parts of the the project base. So engineers and architects and yep. city planners. And um, it was very um, outside of my, uh, my experience up to then, I worked at mm-hmm. MEC for quite a long time mm-hmm. and went from management there to this different, very different experience that mm. really my, my, um, I guess the crossover skill that I carried, uh, or that carried me through was just my ability to, to work with people and of varying backgrounds and very, you know, um, dynamic groups that, I don't know, wouldn't necessarily be friends outside of the office, but yeah. really um, hold, hold their hands along the process and, and really get along well. The people yeah. skills is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, and, and communication, <laughs> understood. Yeah. And there's, there's something that's got to be said about the value of having project management skills, like, you know, being able to coordinate, you know, a lot of moving pieces over a oh, duration so of logistics. time. Yeah, yeah, the logistics. And there, that I'm sure that's a skill set that you're still utilizing today in East Van Jam. Absolutely. And I'm not perfect, but it's definitely helped yeah. uh, a huge amount for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you had your corporate career and then next was motherhood? Yes. And just with cost of living here and mm. childcare, um, as a family, we decided I would stay home. Yeah. Um, and, and I did go back to work after our first son turned one. And mm-hmm. then, um, and then when, once I was pregnant with our number two, I was like, ah, two kids in childcare, that's really spendy. Yeah. So, um, the numbers didn't work out. So I, I stayed home and I did take care of other people's kids for a while as, as well, which, right. Um, which probably contributed to my um, desire for more. Um, but having said that, I don't regret it at all. I'm still very tight friends with the the, the family who I took yeah. care of their children. That's um, great. Yeah. So. Yeah. My wife and I have got a similar story. Like, um, you know, the cost of childcare is just out of control here, even though it is subsidized. And obviously the cost of living is really expensive out here too. So yeah, my wife mm-hmm. stays at home and looks after the kids, which we actually really love because, you know, we can influence them in, in ways that we otherwise wouldn't be able to, but it mm-hmm. is a huge decision. But when you, when you add the numbers up, it just doesn't make sense to go back to work to just put your kids in, you know, in childcare. So, yeah. yeah. But in some ways I realized, you know, with hindsight that mm-hmm. sometimes it's worth spending the money because, um, because there's, there's a, you know, part of the reason I even began the canning classes or mm. even began a business was, was because 
you know, I'll just going to lay it out for you here. I, you know, I don't have a post-secondary education. Right. I went straight from high school to working full-time at MEC. Mm -hmm. I, you know, worked my way up the ranks as best I could there, uh, moved on to this other job, which was amazing. And it was a great opportunity, but Mm -hmm. still no education in there. Nothing on paper that says I'm good at something. Yeah. And, uh, and then becoming a mom and being out of the workforce for a chunk of time, Mm -hmm. that was really a challenge actually to consider myself hireable and have the confidence to go out there and, um, and say, I'm the right person for the job you posted, you know, like it was, it was actually a really challenging time. Yeah. 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 You know, you'd really have to sell yourself, but there's something that's got to be said about, you know, EQ, emotional intelligence and finding the right person for a position. And so that's exactly what happened. You managed to, you know, just land a job because you, was it a relationship based conversation or was it based on, you know, how how did they determine that you were the right person for the job? The people skills part. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So, Um, and Sorry. Sorry. And just having, having managed a team of 25 means that, you know, there's a lot of dynamics at play there and being able to work under, under, you know, the stress of all those different personalities and, um, and still making the team work. So yeah, that directly translates to project management for sure. hundred percent. It really does. Yeah. So in 2013, obviously you were, you were previously working, doing community classes on canning and mm-hmm. then, you know, you saw an opportunity to go out on your own and you launched um, East Van Jam in 2013. So take us through the early years, what sparked the idea and what was sort of the motivating factor to actually go out on your own and have a crack? Um, well, the canning classes were instrumental, um, mm. I was brainstorming with my dear friend who um, she ran Bad Anna's. She founded Bad Anna's. It's a knitting store here in uh, East Van. And she was really trying to help me figure out what I could do with myself. Mm-hmm. And so the canning classes was an opportunity for me to uh, go in the evenings, so make my own schedule so I could teach people in the evenings And it just always kept coming down to the fact that I really wanted to share that skill with people. I wanted, I wanted more people to be empowered with the fact that you can be in control with what, you know, control over what food you're eating um, in the months that are dark and, um, and still, you know, um, still like shop local by doing that, you know, shop in the summer, put up the food, eat those things during the winter, understand Mm -hmm. seasonality and just try and um, help people feel empowered to do that. And so during those canning classes, um, it was, it was actually really great market research without ever having intended for it to be that way. Mm -hmm. I I never set out thinking I was going to start a food product business. There was no intention there. Mm. Um, It was just, one or you know organically one thing led to another um so canning classes i was teaching a low sugar recipe for jam um in my canning 101 so like your intro course so to speak and um in doing so people were exposed to the fact that yeah you could actually still produce jam that wasn't uh really high sugar like a one-to-one ratio and um in doing so people started asking me like well why why isn't this available why isn't this kind of style of preserve more available on the market Mm -hmm. and um while i was really comfortable about making that at home and whatever the trade-offs were um i wasn't really very clear on why it wasn't uh, more available on the market and so 
just started doing that research, started um, asking more questions from my, my uh, you know, my students and, you know, what kind of, what kind of um, expectations would you have if you were to purchase something like this, knowing that it's, you know, made of local fruit, um, also that it's so low sugar, what, what kind of, you know, things are you willing to trade off in order to make this product available? So it was really great opportunity to do market research. And mm. as, as those classes continued on, um, I started just having a hankering, an idea that maybe I should make jam. Mm. And um, a dear friend of mine who you mentioned in your intro, Scott Bilstad, yep. he, he and my husband are university pals and he lives in Seattle with his family and two kids. And he, um, when they, whenever they'd come and visit, they like two weeks later, you'd find a little card, little watercolor uh, of some made up character with some made up name sitting on the back of your door. Like <laughs> he did that, like in almost every room of our house o- yeah. over the years. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's got so much skill. Like this is such cool talent. I love it so much, yeah. but he doesn't do that for a living. It's not his thing. Right. Um, and so that in conjunction with this feedback I was getting about low sugar jam, uh, the fact that I think that teachers are angels and children should not be going to school with their, you know, blood sugar levels really high. <laughs> so I'm thinking all these things. I'm like, what about let's do this? And what if there's, you know, Scott does a character for every flavor and um, we just work with fruit that I can get my hands on here in BC. Um, so it all kind of really organically came together and I didn't know anything about the industry. Right. Starting out. So it sounds like a really simple vision that you had, like how, like when you were thinking forward to the future and what it could become, like, what were your thoughts? I have, uh, honestly, I'm the worst entrepreneur to speak to about that because I had no clear vision. Right. I still sometimes don't. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, I'm not, you know, I'm not the midday squares of the world who are just like Killing ready to conquer. Right, yeah. right? Like I'm, yeah. that's not me. And I've never yeah. been that person. Um, yeah. I have ambition and I have a creative drive, but I don't, yeah. I don't see money as the biggest win in life. Okay. Um, and so I've really organically created a business that is, it's just doing, it's just doing its thing. It's right. not going to take over the world. It's not going to hurt craft sales. It's not, you know, it's not going to even be a blip on anyone's radar, and, you know, as a, as a national brand, like that would be great if I could do that, but I've never set out with any particular goals Yeah. other than to make something that people would want. And That's value. It. That's cool. Yeah. That's such a genuine place to, to start a business from. Do you have any mentors that you sort of discuss your business ideas with, or, you know, that you reviewed your business plan with, or your business model with? Um, I don't have a business plan. I never wrote one. Right. Um, I have had some pretty amazing folks um, lend a hand along the way. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the most consistent has, you know, has been my dad, actually, he's Mm. in, you know, has been, was in business for a long time himself. And, did well and he always has really good you know nuggets of wisdom to share with me which has been valuable for me over the years yeah um but i have had some great people in the industry specifically who have who have helped lend a hand um uh my peers are also people who Mm. i look to a lot so there's a lot of collaborative you know 
thought process processing that happens yes. um, with me a, among my peers. So I really value those relationships a lot. Jordan being one of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, I, I did work with Andrea Gray Grant for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked out of her kitchen in North Van and that was, that was an instrumental um, transition in my business from real, really, really micro batch to scaling up, um, which, you know, my scale is still small compared to many big companies, but um, it was a a, a bigger scale than I had been working at. So that was super helpful. Yeah. And I did take a couple of her courses, which helped me along with my, my pricing um, structure and model planning yeah. and so on Got, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah andrea is incredible i had her on the podcast as well and what a wealth of knowledge eh? mm-hmm. yeah incredible. she's got such a depth of knowledge in the industry so yeah. and she's so uh willing to share it which is really humble wonderful yeah, yeah. she's just been nominated for a uh, bc food award I heard about that. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just even to be, you know, recognized uh, with the nominations, huge. So I'm really hoping that she takes yeah. that because, yeah, it's so deserving. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, you mentioned that you um, didn't put a business plan together. So that tells me that you most likely haven't raised any capital. No. Nope. Okay. So you've <laughs> self-funded the whole way through? Yeah. Good for you. So I definitely uh, had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about that. The first year... The first year I actually sold anything, um, I basically just pulled money from our household account, used it, kept track and then paid, paid it back at the end of the the year. And then, cause I had a chip on my shoulder. My husband's like, whatever. Oh my God, don't do that. Put it back into the business. (laughs) And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I need to start from afresh. And, um, so did that and just built, built, built it over the years. I mean, I, I seriously, I'm very good at juggling and I'm working in, um, you know, a commissary year over year, various, uh, various different ones. Uh, and in doing that, you learn how much you have to do within a confined amount of space and resource. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's been a lot of magic happening within (laughs) small, small, uh, space opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, how do you manage the financial aspect of the business? Is it like, do you have a bookkeeper or do you have a, um, an accountant that you worked with to set up the specific structure of the business or how did that work? Yeah, certainly. Um, it did take me a while to decide to incorporate. I was sole prop for a long time and then, um, decided that once I started distribution it was time to to um just have the the legal framework for um being a corporation and mm-hmm. and uh having the insurance policy so to speak that comes with that yeah um and so yes i did work with an accountant to do that and a lawyer and then um i have maintained doing my own bookkeeping it really keeps me very much abreast of what is going on yeah where my where my biggest expenses are and making sure how things are looking month to month um, mm-hmm. I'm not the best at it I should probably outsource that and it's definitely not a strength of mine but um, it definitely helps keep me in line keeps your finger on the pulse. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah what would be your greatest expense at the moment would it be cost of goods or are you spending a bit on marketing to get the brand and you know get the product out there or what do you find is the uh, the largest expense on your PL? Um, labor is one, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. ingredients are, yeah, the cost of goods are definitely the highest there. Um, I, I don't, I don't, um, cut any corners on my sourcing and yep. that's been 
it's a huge expense. And that, that's why I'm never going to get huge is <laughs> because I don't, I don't cut corners on my base ingredients. And right. so, um, that's where you end up making your margins, you know, improving yeah. your margins is by figuring out how to get what you are giving your customer, but for cheaper. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not at the scale for that to yeah. have that much buying powder power, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm also, um, I'm just not willing to compromise. It's too, it's too important. It's too much of the foundation of what, uh, uh, my customers have come to know about yep. my brand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it all starts with quality and consistency of the product as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that you did a, uh, a class with Andrea and mm-hmm. uh, it was sort of the pricing model class that she does when you were sort of trying to figure out where you would, you know, place your product in the market and where you would sort of be selling it at mm-hmm. to sort of determine where, you know, what the glass ceiling was and, um, you know, to really allow you to maintain the margins that are required to keep the business operational. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what did you learn during that class and how did you arrive at the price point that you did? Um, well, I definitely started out in a very boutique mindset, um, just based on my output at that time. There was not, uh, there was no staff involved. There was no uh, machines involved. It was all very much handcrafted. Yeah. Um, it's not terribly different now, but it's just larger volume at once. And there are some machines that help me make, uh, help me be able to continue doing it. Otherwise my body would break. Yeah. So, um, so at the time my mindset was very much like gift shops, boutiques, cafes, um, more, you know, generally the boutique experience. Yeah. And, um, And that worked for me great because part of why I started this business was because I was my own boss and I was able to make my own schedule and still be very available to my children. Yeah. Um, Still being the primary caregiver and um, they're now, you know, 14 and 11. So they need me almost not at all, Yeah. but um, it's allowed me to grow my business at the pace that I'm, I was comfortable with for my family too. Mm -hmm. So um, at that time, uh, one of the things that really stuck with me, uh, that Andrea had brought up was that, okay, boutique is great, but that's not, that's not where you're going to move volume. You're not going to move volume there. And I'm like, I don't want to move volume. That's crazy. That's not what I'm about. And, um, you know, fast forward, like three, maybe four years. I'm like, okay, I got to make some volume. <laughs> like that's, that's where it's at. That's gotta where put food on the table. Yeah. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. sure. So it's, it, it was a bit of, I'm a bit of a tough nut to crack in that sense that like I'm stubborn. I'm like, no, this is what it is now. Maybe that'll be in the future, but I'm not thinking about it yet. Yeah. (laughs) So So how did you go out there and push volume? Was it through, you know, conversations around distribution or marketing, or was it just a matter of walking into retailers and, you know, selling yourself? Well, um, although I'm quite uh, an extrovert in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm very, very shy about any cold calls or, or actually selling myself in any way. And I was just really lucky for a long time. Um, you know, the branding, the way it is, it it became, um, you know, attractive to the kind of, uh, demographic that I was hoping for. Yeah. And, um, so a lot of boutiques called me up and asked to carry my product before I had a chance to really launch it completely. So there's some retailers I've been with since the very beginning and, Mm -hmm. Um, the relationship has been beneficial in both ways, you know, both directions. Yeah. Um, but, um, 
sorry, refresh my memory on the question. Yeah, no worries. So you mentioned that you needed <laughs> that a requirement that you really, you know, felt was a critical part of the business sort of spurred by Andrea was the need to push volume. So my question right. was like, what were the driving sort of pieces to actually push volume uh-huh. out there? Yeah. Right. Um, well, so I was lucky enough to be approached by someone uh, working for Whole Foods who saw my product on a boutique shelf and got in touch with me and, and asked if I would be interested in selling to them. Yeah. And, um, a friend of mine, her mother at the time when she, when she learned of this conversation that I had been approached by Whole Foods, she was a big Whole Foods fan as a customer. And, uh, and I told her that I had turned them down because I didn't know what I would even do to try and accomplish that. Uh, she thought I was insane. Yeah. She was like, well, do you just do everything that you have to do? Just get on it. Awesome. And yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't even have barcodes. I don't even have nutrition panels. Like I didn't have any of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I was not, I was not a proper like packaged good at that point. Um, but to get, but to get the attention of a buyer at Whole Foods was pretty phenomenal. And, yeah. um, I, it was exciting, but I really just didn't feel like I had the capacity to, um, make it happen at that time. And similarly, I was approached by, um, someone at urban fair. My Mm -hmm. response was the same. I'm like, I don't know how to sell to you basically. And, um, sadly that, that friend's mom passed away and I basically just decided I would make it my, my mission to get on the shelves at whole foods in her honor. Mm -hmm. And, um, Outside of, they used to, it used to be a little easier to get into Whole Foods. They yeah. used to do these, um, you know, are you familiar with that? Where they would host a day where everyone could show their product and right. um, they don't do that anymore here in the region. But uh, so I missed out on all of those opportunities. Okay. And then yeah. finally, once I decided I would go for it, um, I just hounded the buyer and made him taste it. And that was the only time I've really ever hounded anybody. Well, it's an important lesson and it's a skill that you've got to hone over time. Like I work in sales here at Food Pack and, you know, cold calling is a really difficult component of your repertoire Mm -hmm. that you need to build on Mm -hmm. if it doesn't already come naturally to you. And and I tell you, right, it doesn't come naturally to me either. So I've got to work Mm -hmm. on it and, you know, have a real think before I walk in the door of like, what's the message that I want to get across? What are the key pieces that I'm trying to sell here? And at the end of the day, they're buying from you because they like you. Like really it's relationship based selling. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like obviously there are key components of the business transaction that need to work. Like their margins need to be in Mm -hmm. alignment with what they're trying to achieve when they're in their business. Mm-hmm. Your brand needs to be on point and it needs to resonate with your target audience and it needs to look mm-hmm. great on their retail shelf. And then obviously they want to know that there's also going to be, you know, turnover of your product as well. And it's not just going to sit there too. So right. yeah, I mean, there are some critical pieces, which obviously you got right to get onto the shelf at Whole Foods. So yeah, you should probably give yourself a bit more of a pat on the back than it sounds like you are. You are. <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah, it was pretty fantastic when it happened. Yeah. I kind of like shit my pants a little bit. Sorry no for swearing. No, I just no. was like, oh my God, this really <laughs> happened. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. been like five plus years. I mean, it's been the majority of the years I've been operating. I've been on yeah. those shelves and yeah. that, yeah. that's definitely, um, that's a point of pride for sure. Yeah. And once yeah. you plant the flag in a sort of a, um, a key retailer like that, it gives you mm-hmm. instant credibility, you know, and mm-hmm. ability to get into other locations too. Yes. And that's to further answer your question. Um, 
that's how I was then approached by a distributor. Yeah. So yeah. Um, they saw my product on Whole Foods shelf and decided to get in touch. And I, and that, at that point, I'd been reached out to by one other distributor and again, right. was not in the mindset to try and think about volume. Yeah. And so I said, thank you, but no thank you. And then yeah. this fellow got in touch. And, um, and so I felt more ready to entertain that idea. And yeah. so I've been w- with this distributor now for, I'd say, I think it's since 2018. Right. Okay. Yeah, so you came on years. board with them pretty early because, I mean, you launched in, oh, no, 2013. Yeah, so, yeah, so you were operational for a while. Yeah. And so um, who's the distributor like said, that you're working I, with? Sorry. Sorry. Just before I answer that question, yeah. the, the like I said earlier, I was very, like, careful not to well, – careful to grow at a pace that I felt really comfortable with. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know a lot of folks like I, like the conglomerate I did, I, uh, I mentioned earlier, it's like their, their goal, the midday square has become a conglomerate, you know, chocolate heavyweight. And I'm just like, I'm going to just be over here making my jam, you know, like, um, and doing it at the pace that works for me. So, um, to answer your question, uh, yep. I work with Nationwide Natural Foods. Okay. And they're based out of Delta. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so they've got a warehouse. So you ship your stock to them on a pallet and they mm-hmm. warehouse it and they obviously distribute it out on their trucks. Is that the yep. relationship? Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Cool. cool. Yeah. And they, they have a sales team that they um, have represented, you know, sales reps yep. representing different regions and so yep. on. So that's great. Yeah. So I've gotten distribution into Alberta primarily. Yeah. Um, and I, I, battering beyond that but really just bc alberta that's cool um you've yeah. touched on midday squares a few times now and i i follow those guys on linkedin as well and yeah they mm-hmm. are blowing up but they're also an interesting story because a couple of years ago i was at um the chfa trade show in vancouver yep. at the convention center which yep. in my previous um line of work i was a food service sales manager at salt spring coffee and so i participated oh, cool. yeah i participated at that event quite a few times and the last mm-hmm. time I was there was prior to COVID. So it would have been what, what are we in now? 20, it was 2019, the 2019 mm-hmm. CHFA and the okay. guys from midday squares were there and they were small. Like it was just this small little trestle table set up. It was yeah. the three of the, it was the two guys and the gal that were there and, yeah. you know, they were just hustling their chocolate, but they had this air about them of confidence and mm-hmm. they're real characters. Like they're, yeah. They're 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 from Quebec. No. And, you know, they've come from the fashion industry and it's obvious that they want to have a real crack and actually build a lifestyle brand around it. So Mm -hmm. watching them grow their, you know, their social media marketing campaigns and, and the way that they are, I guess, their strategy around aggressive growth, but also leveraging all of the people in their network to sort of garner all of the information that they need to be successful is kind of inspirational in my opinion. Oh, for sure. And they're very, very thoughtful in the way that they engage and yeah. move into new cities, yeah. uh, you know, taking, taking stock well in advance of making the, uh, the push into yeah. that city. So That's cool. yeah, they're totally smart. It's amazing. Yeah. Would you say that probably the, the biggest factor in the growth of East Van Jam was you getting out of your own way? <laughs> Is is still is me getting out of my own yeah yeah yes. yeah yeah for okay. sure so I'm, what's it what's it going to take for you to get out of your own way and sort of you know step into an uncomfortable position to sort of take the next leap if that's something that you choose to do um this might be too personal but i just am so risk averse yeah, um yeah when i you know 
growing up, all I want with all I wanted was stability and I didn't really yeah. have that. Yeah. Um, so to shake that stability up yeah. is actually really freaky. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, understood. I, you know what, in most recent years, it's actually, we briefly touched on the fact that you're on Brad Bodnichuk's half a dozen hospitality podcast. And mm-hmm. I did mention before the show um, that I worked with Brad really closely um, with his coaching classes and the program yeah. that he ran called life, the recipe. And mm-hmm. I got to say, I cannot speak more highly of Brad and the work that I did with him or the work mm-hmm. that he did with um, both myself and the the team that we had on board. Honestly, the one, the greatest takeaway that I took from working with Brad, cause he's such a great personality and coach is that I needed to get out of my own way as well, because the mm-hmm. only thing that was holding me back in life, whether it was starting this podcast or taking my career to the next level or stepping into mm-hmm. the role of being the kind of dad that I want to be in life was mm-hmm. myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really common theme amongst everybody that mm-hmm. what I found is the one thing that I became really aware of when I was working with Brad was the language that I was using when I was having my internal dialogue, when I was talking to myself. And as soon as I became aware of the fact that in a lot of cases, I'm not my own worst enemy, but I'm not necessarily giving myself a push. As soon as I sort of recognized that it opened up and it changed my life to a lot of, to in a lot of areas. And yeah, Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. So get in touch with Brad. He's such a good dude. If, if you ever feel <laughs> yeah, inclined really, to, get really a, to. to get a rev and to sort of get a motivational speech, have a chat with Brad. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been in touch with him for a while. I really ought to. It's a good, it's a good pointer for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, he lives out East now as well. He moved yeah. his whole family over there. Nova so Scotia. he's not as, yeah. not as accessible as he used to be in Vancouver, but yeah, such a good dude. Oh, and he would, he would, you know, fully engage. hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. he puts say. his heart and soul into it. Totally cool. So let's talk a little bit more about East Van Gem. So obviously you're motoring away right now, and you're in a really good place, and you've obviously got great distribution, and your sales are ticking along nicely. And you did mention that um, your greatest expense on your PL is your labor. And I'm assuming when you say labor, you mean in production. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So after Cogs, yeah, labor is is up there. Um, yeah. Most mostly because it just it's not really feasible to do alone and yeah. I'm trying to pay myself appropriately, but yeah. I often shortchange myself. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's actually, um, it's been a little tricky with COVID, uh, maintaining yeah. <laughs> staff yeah. Yeah, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been a real trick. Okay. Um, I, I mean, it. I'm in quite a, um, a phase of, uh, uncertainty right now with staffing so it's it's a bit of a tricky one yeah right is it just because people aren't available or is it because you know they're just working on their own things in life and you're just finding it really hard to bring people in um i'm finding that people are non-committal yeah and um they also are not communicating that Yeah. So there's been um, a bunch of ghosting and not no shows. Yeah. So Damn. that's been tricky. That's the hardest part of the hospitality industry, isn't it? Because we're so <laughs> reliant on the physical labor that's required to get the job done. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether you've got a cafe or a restaurant, which is, oh my God, how heavily rely, you know, it, how re- heavily dependent is a business like mm-hmm. that on the labor, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are you planning or do you have any other stuff that are out there, you know, whether it's a marketing, you know, component side of the business, do you outsource any of that or are you taking that all on yourself as well? Um, yeah, I'm taking it all on myself and doing it very badly at this time. Um, 
I definitely have had a lot more motivation in the past to, um, to put together photography, to put yeah. together, um, content for social media. It's been, um, it's taken a, like the, it's been put on the back burner, if you will. Um, yeah. because when, <laughs> when there's an uptick in sales, it's hard to keep up with it all. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have to focus on getting the jam to the shelves right now. And yes. um, actually the beginning of COVID was, was a particularly tricky time because um, my staff uh, for her own, you know, feelings of safety decided yeah. to leave, even though I didn't, you know, shut us down. Yeah. Um, we were, you know, still receiving a lot of orders and yeah. it actually, increased my orders for a good chunk of the, the beginning. And yeah. um, so <laughs> during that labor shortage, I roped my husband in. Yeah. <laughs> so he came to work with me in production and uh, I'm very proud to be able to say we're still married. Yeah. Um, <laughs> despite yeah. the fact that I was like bossing him around the whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, the l- labor's been a pretty tricky, tricky thing for sure. And working out of a commissary yeah. is, um, it's been like my, it's been a huge uh, boon to my business in yeah. some ways, but also a major hindrance. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's a challenge I haven't gotten off the fence on yet. So, right. you know, real estate being what it is in Vancouver, and I'm a bit of a princess when it comes to not wanting to commute very far. <laughs> um, it's been a bit tr- tricky to try and go out on my own. Yeah, understood. Do the boys yeah. help out in the kitchen at all? Totally. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, my oldest is old enough, and he has uh, been helping me. And yeah, actually, he was just helping me. Uh, came with me to Abbotsford this morning. So yeah. yeah, there's it is a family business in a lot of ways. In fact, actually, he just recently did a video that I posted my to my Instagram feed yeah. that he's like, I want to make an East Van Jam commercial. Like, how about her, dude? <laughs> he just put together this video that I would never have put together. Like a TikTok I, video kind of thing? or um, I don't know. I guess he used some kind of video software. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not a techie person. Yeah. <laughs> so I've never done a, I've never even done a reel. Like the fact yeah. that I learned how to do stories was already a huge win for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so stuff like that. It's, it's kind of fun to have my family involved in, uh, in all the aspects. I mean, they're, they're emotionally involved for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Whether it's conversations around the dinner table or actually helping out. Yeah. I grew up yeah. in my parents' business as well. Actually, both my sister and I did from a young age. And mm-hmm. honestly, like the foundation that that gives you in life of just, you know, not only seeing your parents working their butt off, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing the inner workings of a business and not only the wins, but the struggles that you sort of encounter Mm -hmm. and the way Mm -hmm. that you, I guess the biggest learning for me is, you know, watching my parents react to situations within the, biz- within the business, like when they kept a level head, I knew that it was all going to be okay. So it kind of gives mm. you a sense of um, <laughs> a sense that no matter whether there's a shitstorm in the business occurring or whether times are good, you're going to get through it, you know? And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm sure that the exposure that you're giving your boys is going to be nothing but beneficial in their life as well. Well, I think so. And it'll also help prevent them from going into the food business. <laughs> Yes, it will. <laughs> They're going to steer clear. <laughs> it's not all, it's yeah. not all rainbows, right? So, yeah, 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 um, yeah. I, I, I definitely encourage them to get themselves a proper full-on education. It's hilarious. You know, <laughs> yeah. the food and hospitality industry, like I'm obviously still really heavily involved being here at Food yeah. Pack and selling um, packaging yeah. um, 
into the industry. I've obviously, you know, grown up in the industry with my parents. And then I worked in the coffee industry for years, either as oh, a cafe uh, yeah. manager or a barista. And then mm-hmm. later on in sales as well. It's a love-hate relationship in the industry. Like <laughs> you love it because you're working with people and, yeah. you know, every shift. But you is also a- hate it because you're working with people. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. It's a dichotomy that we you yeah. know, touched on earlier. But you know, at the end of the day, it's an awesome industry and um, I love still being a part of it. But at the same time, I do like having a bit of separation from it as well, to some degree. And hats yeah. off to all of the people that are, you know, running their restaurants and cafes right now, obviously going oh, through man. a hell of a time, both financially. I can't imagine the amount of restless nights that they're having. So, you know, if there's oh, anybody out there that's real. listening and they're deep in the industry and, you know, got all of those concerns, there's a lot of support out there for you, whether it's, I know that you already know this, but whether it's a grant or some assistance, financial assistance of some sort, or whether there's somebody, you know, that you can leverage, you know, there are, there are people out there that can assist you in so many ways and you're definitely not on your own. So mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I really hope it's that so you important to know that it. you're not alone. Yeah. Isn't it? It's super, Yeah, truly. Yeah. Cool. So Natalie, let's, um, let's end the conversation with one more question. So, you know, we've covered a lot in this conversation already and it sounds to me as if the entrepreneurial journey and the, the sort of the things that you've learned through the, you know, the inception of East Van Jam all the way through to where you are right now, it's been a hell of a ride. Mm -hmm. If you were speaking to somebody and they were just embarking on the process and they were like, Natalie, do you have one piece of advice that you could give me? What would it be? Mm, Just one. (laughs) You can list as many as you like. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is um, I, I feel like the the place that I've struggled with the most is the thing I would hope others would um, dial in is and that is just know more about your industry, know as much as you can about the industry and um, get your ducks in a row, understand what your category is mm-hmm. um, and um, and and uh, help have some, like have some really honest conversations about uh, your level of commitment. And cause it's a, it's a slog mm. and you know, there are, there are companies out there that just take off and go bonkers, but most of them don't. And you really have to be committed to your trade to, to get over the hurdles and um, to deal with the setbacks along the way. So yeah. n- know your industry as best as you can, I think is the top, piece that I would suggest. That's a great piece of advice. Where do you look for um, information and like what resources do you leverage? Um, uh, I definitely really appreciate the the small scale um, producer community. Like, yes. um, so s- small scale uh, food producers association is one that I'm part of and yep. I became a member pretty early on and I've just gained so much just I think I've literally asked one question to the group um, but I have actually gained more information just being able to read other people's questions and um, garner some of the information that comes through the answers from the group Um, so that's been really really uh, instrumental Um, and just like we were talking about early earlier just a lot of peer uh, feedback and peer, um, uh, troubleshooting if, yes. it, if you will. So yeah. a lot of conversations that help 
develop and open my mind to different possibilities, different yeah. angles, different ways of th- looking at things. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's been super helpful in helping me keep going, but also um, get out of my own head, like you were talking about yeah. earlier, get out of my way so that I can start seeing things from a different perspective. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today, Natalie. I've learned a lot. I know that everybody out there listening would have learned a lot from your story I as hope well. So. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, Likewise. If, yeah. If anybody wanted to get in touch, what would be the best way? Uh, my website. It's yep. just the easiest, most simple. Uh, there's a contact page on there. So it's eastvanjam.com. Pretty simple. Fantastic. Well, thank you yeah. very much. I'll talk to you later yeah. on. Have a good one. Thanks so much, Hayden. Bye-bye. Welcome. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. I'll see you next week.